0: I'd like to invite you to turn with me in God's Word this morning to the book of Romans. Continuing our study through the book of Romans. Turning again to Paul's magisterial chapter, Romans chapter 8. Continuing our study beginning in verse 5 all the way through verse 11. Under the question, does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? From Romans 8, beginning in verse 5 through 11. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. word this morning. A blessed congregation, many of you have likely noticed how children can be raised in identical circumstances, yet have completely different personalities. Many of you were likely raised in the same homes as your brothers and sisters, same parents, same values, same school, yet you are completely distinct from your brothers and sisters. For instance, during my studies this week, I came across a story of two identical twins born to a proud father and mother who were raised identically through their first few years. Again, same home, same parents, same education, same values, same love. But one of the twins was gifted academically, and athletically, and the other twin fell into the wrong crowd. And you see the identical twins begin to diverge. The gifted brother, this is a true story, grew up to become a pediatric surgeon, with the second becoming marginally employed and having a drug dependency problem. It's an extreme example but we often ask questions like these parents. Why do some turn out better than others? And particularly as Christians, why do some people walk by the Spirit and other people walk by the flesh? Why do some people, verse 5 of what we just sang, listen to His voice and receive new life and some hear And don't respond. Well, perhaps this was the question that the church of Rome was asking as the Gospel came to the Roman Empire and many Jews come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, but why did some Romans receive the Gospel and others reject it? Why did some Jews hear the Gospel proclamation, but maybe their parents or grandparents, maybe their brothers or sisters, didn't respond to that Gospel message? We ask this question as well. I have been in homes with older folks who have said, why do I have one son who is a missionary, a pastor, and another child that's been excommunicated? We raise them the same. They went to the same church, same school. What happened? Well, too often our answers to this question are not God-focused. We say, well, they weren't raised right." Or maybe we'll say, well, the reason that person didn't receive the gospel is because they're a Democrat. But they didn't go to the right school. They didn't have the right church. They didn't have the right theology. And I'm not saying those things aren't important, but Paul wants us to have a God-centered focus this morning. He wants to give you a theological rationale. Why do some people walk by the flesh and other people walk by the Spirit? And in Romans 8, Paul points us again and again and again to the third member of the Trinity, our Sovereign Lord, the Holy Spirit. In just the first 27 verses, Paul refers to the third person of the Trinity 19 times. That the person who serves God is not necessarily the strong, like the Romans. The person who receives that internal call to Jesus is not necessarily the moral like the Jews. But the person who walks by the Spirit is who even in their weakness yields to the Holy Spirit. We need this message today. Parents, it is important that you raise your children well, but the salvation of your children does not depend on you. College students, when you share the Gospel with your friends, you need to trust God the Spirit for the response. When a preacher preaches, it is not based on his oratory skill, but is God who gives the increase. Why one person walks by the Spirit and another person walks by the flesh is because the third person of the Trinity, holy God, Paul says, renews. Changes and indwells his people. It's the work of the Spirit. We need to have that God centered focus this morning. And so, this time, our time together this morning, I want to show you this one thought that through the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, that's how we're given new life. The Holy Spirit dwelling in me, that's how we're given new life. And Paul shows us this in two points. He's going to talk about the justified's juxtaposition, and then he's going to talk about the blessing of believing. The justified's juxtaposition and the blessing of believing. Let's look first at the justified's juxtaposition. Now, juxtaposition means when you put something side by side in order to contrast it. Maybe some of you young men have recently gone to a jeweler and you're looking at a beautiful diamond ring to give to your beloved. And the jeweler will show you that ring on a black cloth. That's a juxtaposition to show you the brightness of the diamond against a dark backdrop. Maybe tonight, You can go outside and you can look up into the sky and the darkness of the sky makes the stars seem so bright. That's a juxtaposition. Paul here juxtaposes justified believers and unbelievers. He is contrasting those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. Now, these verses tend to trip people up. They seem confusing. But Paul is actually being pretty simple here. In verse 5, he's going to talk about contrasting mindsets. Our goals and thoughts. In verse 6, he's going to talk about contrasting destinies. Where you're headed in this life. And in verses 7-9, through he talks about a contrasting disposition your attitude towards God. That's the juxtaposition. And what Paul is doing here in Romans 8 is he's actually dividing the world into two camps. There are only two types of people in this world, Paul says. Those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. And there's a sharp line of contrast in between them. The justified are on this side The condemned are on this side. And Paul says the difference is due to the work of the Spirit. Look first at the contrasting mindset this morning. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the Spirit, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In the Greek, set their minds, that phrase is actually one word. And it means to be absorbed with something. To focus sharply on something. Paul is not describing the occasional glance, but he is describing your whole life revolving around a certain thing. And when someone... Excuse me, the whole life revolving around a given subject. For example, when a student goes to school their whole life is revolved around their subject of study. When someone is in the military, their whole lives revolve around the military. Paul says our whole lives revolve around something, spiritually speaking. And the first thing your life can revolve around, Paul says, is the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now, he's not referring to your skin, your muscles, your sinews here. But flesh, in verse 5, simply means yourself. It means yourself. For those who set their minds on themselves, who live according to themselves, set their minds on the things of themselves. And for many people, the world does revolve around them, doesn't it? The day-to-day activities are about me, myself, and I. We have an appetite we need to satisfy. Desires that need to be fulfilled. Pursuits that need to be met. Self-interest. Self-promotion. To be in the flesh is to be me-focused, not God-focused. And I want to give an example, and I don't mean to pick on any particular people here, but don't we see this happening in our culture today with the LGBTQ community? You have the whole person, a whole community of people, focused on the flesh, focused on themselves. Whenever I've spoken to somebody who is lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or queer, they will say, hello, my name is blank, and I am gay, queer, lesbian. Their whole worldview, everything that they think about, everything that they do, has become consumed with their sexual orientation. And it's not just with them, I don't want to just pick on them alone, but... We can do this also when somebody is consumed with their job. Their whole world, their whole life becomes their job. We can do this with money. You go on Instagram and Facebook and everything's about vacations and cars and what we're doing. It can be the same way with our relationships. But Paul says it's the unconverted world that is consumed with themselves. Now, this is a scary statement because we are selfish people, aren't we? But notice the stark contrast in verse 5. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul says there is a clear distinction. The other... The unbeliever is concerned with themselves, but the believer is to be concerned with the Spirit. But here's the problem that each and every one of us face this morning. Even as Christians, we struggle with the flesh. John says the three great enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. If we're honest, don't we sometimes struggle with lust, even in Christ, struggle with anger, selfishness, not prioritizing God, if being in the flesh means that I'm consumed with myself, well, what does it mean to be in the spirit? Well, Romans 8 is about that very thing. If you have your Bible open, look with me at Romans 8, verse 14. Paul tells us what it means to have a God-centered mindset. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Speaking of adoption. Look at verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Speaking of a new mindset. A mindset of being loved by God. Verse 27, Romans 8, verse 27. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul is saying that the mindset of the Spirit is not that you are perfect and free from sin, but that you now have a life that is preoccupied with something other than you. Preoccupied with how you are loved. Preoccupied with how you are adopted. Preoccupied now with how you are welcomed into the presence of God. Not focused on me, myself, and I any longer. But focused on the God who loved me, gave Himself for me, and desires to live with me. Christian, never forget your privileged standing. This is what needs to dominate our thinking. This should be our greatest perspective. That we are loved, adopted, and welcomed into the family of God. Do you see the sharp divide here? Some are consumed with themselves, that's the flesh. Others consumed with the Gospel, that's the Spirit. What Paul is saying is it's. It's one or the other, brothers and sisters. You can't have one foot in the flesh and another in Christ. We can't live in the flesh Monday through Saturday consumed with ourselves and then on Sunday be consumed with the Spirit, the Gospel. Paul is saying Christ needs to affect our whole worldview. Our whole perspective on life. The Gospel is what we need to set our minds on wherever we are and whatever we're doing. Allow me to put it in the strongest possible terms this morning. Life isn't about you anymore. Life has now become about honoring the God who saved you. So be a Christian in wherever God leads you in life? Are you called to be a mechanic? Be a Christian mechanic. Are you called to be a mother? Be a Christian mother. A grandmother? Be a Christian grandmother. Called to be a farmer, a preacher. Whatever you are, Paul is saying, make Christ the center of the life. Wherever He may leads you. And Paul wants us to consider this today because living in the flesh and living in the spirit means we're going in completely different directions tim keller puts it this way whatever occupies the mind controls life see i don't think a lot of people recognize this our actions today influence the future do you know that what you do today determines how tomorrow will go. And too many people believe that we can live like hell today and then get right with God tomorrow. Paul says that's not the case. The mind on the flesh, Paul says in verse 6, is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. He's talking about where your mind, where your worldview will lead you, your destiny. And now, again, Paul says he addresses those in the flesh. And to repeat myself, the flesh doesn't mean to be human, the flesh means to be an unbeliever. That to be an unbeliever is to reject that gospel message, to not have the Spirit of God, and therefore to not be a Christian. See, we were all born in the flesh. Conceived in the flesh, we grow up in the flesh, but Paul says if you continue in the flesh today, the outcome is predetermined. It's death. Now, death means a few different things here. Paul, of course, is agreeing with that Old Testament truth that to sin leads to physical death. Remember, God said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. And Adam and Eve did die. Sin affected their body. And they began to get cancer. And they began to have blood problems. And they began to have all these other issues. And then one day they gave up the ghost and were dead. But that's not all death means. Paul also refers to eternal death here. If you flip back to Romans 6, we already know this. Paul said three different times that sin results in eternal death. Romans 6.16, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death. Speaking of eternal death. Jump down to verse 21, therefore what benefit were you then deriving from the things you are now ashamed, for the outcome of these things is death, eternal death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. It's like Paul is writing in big, bold letters. Sin equals death. Not just physical death, but eternal death before the Lord in the lake of eternal fire. And I want to add something here, a third thought to this word death. Sin also just makes life miserable. God created. When God created this world, He created it to flourish in Him. He created us to enjoy this world. To love our families. To serve Him in righteousness. The mind that is set on sin only leads to conflict. Not peace. It only leads to death. Not life. This world, the result of sin is so manifold, it ripples into all aspects of our life. Physical death, eternal death, and even just death on earth. Misery. But notice what Paul says next. Verse 6. But. Juxtaposition again. Here's the contrast. The person devoted to the things of the Spirit, Paul says, is headed for life and peace that when you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, Christ is brought to your soul. And there is a total reverse of outcomes. Your destiny in Christ, look what Paul says, is life. Referring to the age to come. If the Spirit is in you, you are not going to hell, you are going to heaven. Because you have peace with God. And this doesn't mean that you'll have a peaceful life where you're sitting by the waterside, you know, watching flowers grow or whatever people imagine peace to be. But it's for speaking of an objective peace with God that He is no longer angry with you and me because of our sins. Because Christ has already paid for them all. That the war with God that began in the Garden of Eden, bringing physical, eternal, and misery into a death into this world, there is now peace. He is no longer at war with us. And this is important because Paul says there is also a contrasting disposition. Contrasting mindset, contrasting destiny, but there's also a contrasting disposition. See, disposition, what I mean by saying that is your heart. Your heart. Sometimes when I evangelize and share the gospel with people, I've heard the comment, I refuse to believe in a God who doesn't accept me as I am. Have you heard this? But what Paul shows us here is that the disposition of God is not the problem. It's the disposition of our hearts that the problem. God sent his son, that's his heart. Romans 10 is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible because it says God has held out His hands all day long to a disobedient and contrary people. That's God's heart. But Paul says if we look in our own hearts, it's we who often refuse Him. Look at verse 7. It says that the heart is hostile to God. This is the mindset of the unbeliever. They push against God. They don't want someone to tell them how to live their lives. We want to do our own way, do our own thing. There is pride in the heart. It doesn't subject itself to the law of God. There's no humility, submission, surrender within us. There's moral inability. They're not even able to do so, Paul says. Unless God grants salvation, we are unable to follow the law of God. And then finally, notice what it says. It's impossible to please Him. How is it impossible to please God? Because the first step to pleasing God is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, For without faith it is impossible to please God. That's the heart of man. You, however, verse 9... Juxtaposition, here is the contrast this morning, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Brothers and sisters, hear me today. To be in the Spirit means, look what Paul says, to believe in Jesus. That's how you please God. That's how you have peace with Him. To have the royal residence of the Holy Spirit take up a dwelling place in your heart, to have Jesus applied to your spirit, that's the peace. When you become His temple, that's the new disposition. He works in you a new mindset. He gives you a new destiny. but look what Paul says: You get a new heart as well. a new disposition. We read this morning from Ezekiel already, but you need to I want to hear it again. The prophet says, "I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you." I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and carefully obey My ordinances. This is what the indwelling of the Spirit does. He gives us a new mind. He takes us from hell and gives us heaven. And He gives us new Life. I've mentioned this only slightly, but it needs to be belabored. How does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Paul is pushing us to this one conclusion. That we confess our sins to the Father. That we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are given freely without cost the Holy Spirit. Because that's what Jesus promised. In John 14, when His disciples are wringing their hands and they're worried, well, when when you are not here with us, Lord, who will take care of us? Who will lead us? Who will guide us? He promised that He would go to heaven and send forth His Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit this morning dwell in you. Confess your sins and believe upon Christ and you will be given the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, in these last few verses, begins to unfold that there's actually life-changing benefits of having this Holy Spirit. That's what I want to show you. These blessings of believing See, that phrase, if in fact, has become a bit of a debated phrase. Verse 9, where Paul says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And some have posited it seems like maybe Paul has some doubts about some of the Romans. Maybe they're not all Christians. Maybe they don't all have the Spirit. But Paul in the Greek actually uses that word if twice there. And I think what he's doing is he's inviting the Christians in Rome, and he's inviting the Christians here at Trinity URC to examine themselves and see in your own heart, does the Holy Spirit dwell in me? And there are various answers to the question. Some have said, you can tell if the Holy Spirit is in your heart if you're bearing fruit. And there's some truth to that. But that can't be the only metric others have said uh, you many of you know i've shared this with you before i went to a, a bible college affiliated with the pentecostal assemblies of canada who taught that you in order to be filled with the spirit you must speak in other tongues like it says in acts 2 but yet when the apostle paul calls the church to examine themselves to see if the holy spirit dwells within them he uses neither of those metrics He doesn't say check to see if you're being a good boy or a good girl, if you're bearing fruit. He doesn't say check to see if you can speak in other tongues. Instead, he focuses on the blessings of believing. He says, look at verse 9, that if we are given the Spirit of God to dwell in you, that word dwells means to make one home in, a place of residence, to occupy. He's asking the question, has the Almighty, omnipotent God moved into you? Has He taken up residence in your heart? But how do we do that? Well, I want to show you how the Holy Spirit moves into our hearts. By again, looking at Jesus' words in John 14. This is one of the most important verses when it comes to the doctrine of the indwelling of the Spirit. John 14, verse 16 says, the disciples were concerned about who would come to help them. Jesus said these words, I will ask my Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. You know Him, because He abides in you. What Jesus is saying is that by faith, He will give you His Spirit. And that everything the disciples needed, the Spirit will give them too. Everything all those twelve men needed for their ministry, for their walk with Jesus, for their devotions, everything they needed, the Spirit will provide. So, Christian, it is with you. That for the rest of your lives, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you will never be alone. The Holy Spirit is your possession, and He will be the all-sufficient supply of strength and resource. And this is why it's so important. Because Paul links the indwelling of the Spirit with the Spirit of Christ. Let's read verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Paul is saying that if you have the Son, you have the Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Is the Holy Spirit your possession all the days of your life? Paul's answer is yes, if you have believed upon Christ. Because that's what He promised. But the second blessing is that of power. But if Spirit, and Spirit of Christ and Spirit are used interchangeably here, but if the Spirit of Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of sin of righteousness. Now I know that many of us in this church are young and healthy and strong. But our physical bodies are wearing out and dying because of sin. In Romans 8, Paul will talk about glorification, verse 18 and onwards, but until our body is glorified, until it's changed, our bodies remain dead. They remain dying. We have to continue to do battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. But by the indwelling power of the Almighty, all-powerful God, you are given the power of righteousness. That by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, when we take a step outside of God's will, the Holy Spirit convicts us to bring us back. The power of the Spirit can enlighten our minds to show us how Christ would have us live. He cultivates our hearts to desire God's will. The Holy Spirit is working in our hearts presently to convict us of sin and bring us back to Christ. To righteousness. And here's the thing. That the Spirit seals us in the promises. The Spirit seals the promises to us. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. How? Jesus says that we will see His face again and be made glorified and like Him. How? The final answer is, Paul points us to, because he the Spirit seals us so that we can never lose our salvation. See, the Spirit brings a new prospect to life. Gives us that new destiny we already spoke of. And the prospect that we have in the Spirit is that of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised for Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Paul says we've been given a new future in the Spirit. That we have new life given to us. Speaking of the resurrection that our spirits have been redeemed by the work of Christ, but it is so at work in us that one day He will also redeem our bodies. Totally redeemed, body and soul, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. You see the emphasis here again and again of the Spirit in you and me. And Paul, I think, puts the finishing touches on this by making a very small grammatical point, but it is a huge theological point. Notice how he refers to the Spirit in these last few verses with the personal pronoun who. He didn't say it's a what, the Spirit isn't a power or a force. He refers to the Spirit as a person. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit. Who dwells in you? He is making the claim that the Holy Spirit, who currently indwells you and I by faith, is God. Almighty, that He is the same marks of divinity as the Father and the Son. In all the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is honored as God. The Spirit has the attributes of God. He is called the name of God. He does the deeds of God. Paul says, this is the One who dwells in you. We often sing that hymn, Creator Spirit by whose name aid. The same God who created this world, the same God who raised Jesus from the dead, the same God who upholds this entire universe, Paul says, lives in you and me. And on that last day, when you hear that trumpet sound, those who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit will be raised to new Resurrection life. Even when our souls are with God and our bodies lay in the grave, the Spirit of God will reunite the body and soul and transfer us into a new glorified resurrection body. Jesus said that is the great blessing of believing. That the Spirit will dwell within us. He is your new possession. He is your power. He is your great prospect. So in conclusion, I want to ask the question again. Are you in the flesh? Or does the Spirit dwell in you? hear the promise of Jesus that as surely as you believe upon Him, the Spirit will dwell within you. He will give you strength for the work. And He gives assurance for the future. Through His dwelling in me, we're given new life today and new life forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that this Holy Spirit has been given to us as surely as we believe upon Christ and have confessed His name, we have been raised, spiritually speaking, even here today, but have the guarantee of eternal life tomorrow. We ask, merciful God, that You would please, by the work of this divine person, work salvation in our own hearts. Raise us up this day to believe upon Jesus and to trust in His Holy Spirit for all that we need for this life and for all of eternity. We pray in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.